Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Rock Class Radio. On today's show, we are going to talk about the land of eternal blue sky, the birthplace of the Mongolian Empire, and on the show joining us today is a podcaster of the Modern Mongolia podcast, and she's a cultural anthropologist. Welcome to the show to Dorjpangma Sai Khan. Please correct me your name. Hi, um, my name is Dorj Pagam. Uh, you can call me Donna. Everyone calls me Donna. And um, uh, it's very strange for me to be a guest uh, because it's my first time being a guest for uh, someone else's show. And uh, I'm very quite excited for it. So nice to meet you. Um, Tan Mai, is it right? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> Dorj Pagam. Donna. Yeah. Let's go. So, please, could you tell us what exactly is cultural anthropology and what are your interests? What are you studying? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I I graduated um, in Mongolia for my bachelor's for uh, actually business administration. And after I uh, finished my bachelor, I was working in uh, mostly in the marketing field. And in the business development, I worked in um, uh, telecommunication and then, then uh, market research. And then I, I don't know, I then started uh, in get, I got interested in the Gnostic anthropology. If you ever heard about it before, it's about, about the ancient civilization and about the um, spiritual knowledge anthropology. So... I used to attend a Gnostic anthropology course uh, while I was working back in 2014-15. So that's how I got to know about the anthropology, the field of anthropology. It's about uh, like the anthropology means uh, human. Um, it's about all the main subject of anthropology is human. So we study everything about humans. So Cultural anthropology is we study culture of humans. So we study different, there are, you know, um, thousands of different type of culture in the world, in the, on the planet. So, um, you know, the classic anthropology is we um, choose one of the community or the culture. Maybe it was in the beginning when the first, the science of anthropology was uh, developing. It was used to be like, the anthropologist goes to like um, isolated village or some faraway um, tribe and they live with them and they learn the language and they write, take notes and then they come back and they um, inform about that culture. So um, contemporary cultural anthropology is actually everything about everything, music, um, digital anthropology, AI, um, arts, and everything. So um, after I finished that um, Gnostic anthropology course, I uh, decided to um, take a detour in my career. And then I looked at uh, um, some scholarships. Then I found out about a scholarship of Hungarian government. Then there was 
cultural anthropology. And then I, I was actually not sure that if I could get into the program, but anyway, I just uh, applied for it. Then I got the scholarship and then I studied uh, cultural anthropology for my master's in Budapest for two years. And then I came back to Mongolia and then I started the podcast. So this is the story. That is amazing. I'm really passionate about knowing cultures around the world. And that's what we're doing through this podcast, getting to know about culture in each and every country of the world. So in a way, I'm building a database for the anthropologist or I'm an anthropologist in a way. <laughs> that's fantastic. And I really am passionate about culture, traditions and how human condition evolves around the world. And it's very interesting to see how it is happening. And you're the perfect guest for the show. Because you can also talk about modern anthropology, right? You, I saw your article on LinkedIn about meeting or researching face-to-face -face or on social media. So how has anthropology evolved in past 10-20 years? Now everybody is talking on Zoom and it is different. Um, so I'm still, of course, learning. And um, without having the um, training for the bachelor, I was very new to the field. And actually, when I started uh, cultural anthropology training, it was very fascinating. It was very eye-opening for me. And just uh, being curious and being just, I just learned to be curious and very appreciative and understanding of other cultures. And it's just fascinating. And the um, platform and the methods of like talking to people, meeting people can be very different. It depends and it doesn't have to be actually very complicated or just very strict. Like uh, it has to be like this or this, that. So in a way, it's a very, it gives me a lot of freedom to be uh, curious about everything and also like approaching people and culture, learning about new things. What do you think is your biggest accomplishment so far? Okay, um, let me think. Um, it's uh, actually, like, personally, it's quite... Uh, I don't know, challenging um, question for me because all the time I feel like I'm being not enough as a person in life that, you know, in, um, I'm actually in my 30s and I, I don't have like a very well accomplished career or family. I'm still single. So I feel like sometimes when I compare myself, I still feel like, oh my God, what am I doing? And I think a lot of people also feel like that. Uh, so sometimes I feel like I have... Let's reframe the question. I am, I also feel like that and I know it's very common or I can uh, very understandable for people in uh, this age group. Only people who are like in their 50s, 60s are very confident about what they have done, what they say. So let's reframe the question. What is something about you that your friends and family really appreciate or your colleagues really appreciate or know you for? Um, I, um, I think that's, um, I do like, uh, I 
I uh, I'm able to take action for uh, whatever I think I should do. So, like, just for the example, when I thought about um, starting the podcast in English, I just uh, went on for it, and like, of course, I just started with um, just without nothing, it just with this um, uh, headphone, and it started like that, and. Um, Um, my friends often told me that um, that that I'm very brave and I do I do and accomplish things that I said I I will do. So I think that's something that I'm doing. But on the other side, there are a lot of things that I started but I didn't finish. So there's like two sides of it. I when I think of it, I go for it, and um, but sometimes it doesn't all, always like finish or um, show me some results. But I was like uh, very insecure about this trade of myself, but I was uh, trying to like um, embrace just um, to love myself as I am. And this is just who I am. And there are good side of it, but also some um, some not good, very side of it. I, I do believe that what you have done with the Modern Mongolia podcast is very significant and awesome because I, if that wasn't the case this podcast wouldn't be happening with you today so congratulations on that and best wishes next next i want to know about through your study of anthropology what are some learnings that you uh, you went like wow Um, I think it was everything. So anthropology um, teaches about every culture is relative. So there's a like teaching of cultural re- relativism. So in um, mostly in the Western, all of the knowledge books and everything, even in the academic, most of the knowledge is created in the West culture, Western culture. So mo- uh, mostly it used to be like... Uh, You know, the Western culture is the superior and others are the inferior. So in cultural anthropology, it teaches that um, we should not compare um, um, cultures to one another because each culture is unique on its own way and it's uncomparable to other culture because um, that one culture is found, um, has a foundation on completely different um belief about the world and there's so many different side of the geography and also social structure and the cultural um, history so it's just um, it makes no sense to compare uh, like these cultures to one another and actually um, it uh, negates that the you know that there's a common saying that you know the first world country second world country and third world country etc so this is kind of like a um, um, concept that is negated in cultural anthropology so it was very interesting for me and um, actually my very first uh, group assignment was uh, started in the cemetery in the uh, Budapest and I was like what do you what do you what are you going to do in the cemetery and Uh, it was just the work assignment and the workshop. It was very interesting. We just went through the cemeteries and take note about, okay, so the, there's this, um, oh, oh, 
what's, what's the word for the sometimes it happens tombstone yes there's this type of tombstone in this era of time and there's this um in this era of time there's mostly soldiers died and stuff like that and it's very interest, interesting for me and that time i saw that the cultural difference on the concept of death for example for example in mongolia i have never ever been to cemetery it's very far from the Uh, city center and it's kind of a taboo to go there there's all kind of negative belief and it's kind of scary to go to there and on the other side it's cultural difference that in europe mostly the cemeteries are in the uh, city center it's like uh, just walking garden and people are just jog- jogging there and and taking their kids out <laughs> for sun etc so it's just like okay so this is how it's like that cultures are so different and this is just one topic about the concept of death so death is i don't know um in hungary it was like um you know uh, at the end of our group um, assignment we kind of uh, found out that the concept of death is people don't um uh, people actually don't believe that uh, death is real like uh, it's, it's just there and everything um, sorry I will <laughs> I will uh, re say um, say the sentence again the concept of death is not very strong in the Hungary and on the other side in Mongolia it's a taboo and on the other side in Hungary it's just a normal topic they talk about it free etc so It was kind of fascinating to see that cultural difference. Could you edit that? Because I was very messy about this. It's very interesting, you know. Um, Mongolia is a Buddhist country, right? What is the common belief? Um, I actually, I didn't have, uh, for my life, I... didn't have a lot of opportunity to attend someone else's funeral, for example. So I don't know how it goes. I, I don't know the details of the, for example, funeral. So it's just um, first the monk um, to uh, see, look at the, the person's, the deceased person's fate and the monk decides, okay, that, um, so that relative should come to the, Uh, funeral and take care of the body etc so it's very religious and everything is um, dictated uh, kind of um, led by the monk's um, decision like based on the astrological also uh, reading so monk looks at the face and face and decides what to do just uh, looks at the birth birth year of the person and uh, looks at on some uh, books or just um, um, have the this fortune reading kind of fortune reading uh, procedure and then decides okay this person's for example we often hear that okay this person's um, um, like age was already he lived already past his um like given ages so it's already um 
written in in his fate to die like like that way and he will burn bo- he will be born as such such person in this area of this country something like that oh wow that's very interesting there is a belief of past life and reincarnation of a person and that that is very interesting and my mom actually says me that i am the reincarnation of my like uh, great grand grand grandmother and and she says that um you extremely look like her and your kind of some traits personal traits are like her so you're you're definitely reincarnation of her like so it's a very common understanding in mongolia very interesting this is what happens in tibet also like they select the new lama right dalai lama so i think it's the buddhist philosophy i have one question about this and then i'll share what happens in india so in your belief doesn't the gender change couldn't you be reincarnation of your grandfather or your next reincarnation be a boy does it have to be the same gender every time no it doesn't have to be the sa- same gender um when when people reincarnate i don't believe that so uh, people actually sometimes uh, there are a lot of cases like that sometimes when pe- when a person deceases and during the funeral they put some kind of a of a uh, sign or i don't know they put some um mark here just like a draw something and then when the person reincarnated they have a birthmark here or something like that so that happens a lot so for in terms of the gender it doesn't matter you can be either um the same gender of a person or the opposite all right so one more question do they bury the body or cremate it um both i think um most of the people are buried and um yes mostly traditionally they used to just uh, put the body in in some place open in the uh, open on the wild nature i don't know so then the animals and the birds eat the body and they check um after 3 two or three days when there's when they check back on it if there's nothing left from the body it's it's a very good sign and that person is kind of uh, on their way to the next reincarnation something like that but actually again and these are i have never experienced this on like a personally in my life so this is just uh, uh things that i hear about other per- people's story and from my grandparents etc that's very interesting there is i thought only this sect in india did this there are parsis zoroastrians in india who do this leave the body on a on the tower and then birds and other animals uh, feed on it and then they use the bones and bury the bones so that that's very interesting that happens in mongolia as well let me clarify that this uh, is the case for the people who are living in the countryside um but for you know, you know the most of the mongolian population is living in the uh, capital city of ulaanbaatar and i believe they bury the person and maybe i don't know uh, how many of them bury or how many of them cremate the body but 
um, the leaving the body on on outside is only for the people or just for the elders who lived in the outskirts in india india is a country of many religions all the religions are there in india yeah but i'll i'll talk about hinduism in hinduism the body is cremated and there was this you, you talked about taboo right there was this thing that women are not allowed to come for the cremation it's only the men who go so then cremation is actually like burning the body with all the keeping all the food and all that and then basically the belief is all the elements go back to the nature so it goes in the air and the remaining ashes and bones are then uh, put into the river and then then that's the end of it but that's changing now um, for my grandmother she didn't have sons so my mom and her sisters had gone also to for cremation so that's changing but that's how it is done here some western cultures might find it very weird or surprising that the body is given to eat or it's burnt off <laughs> their their belief is especially in christianity and islam as talking to people in in the west they were like no we don't body has to be preserved in the perfect form even if they had a broken hand or something that hand separate hand would be buried along with them so they wear all these suit and proper clothes so what i found was they believe that there is going to be a judgment day i mean there's going to be a day when resurrection is going to happen resurrection meaning all of those people will the god will come open the tombs and then they get up and they walk and they go to some other place hence the tombstone and the people under there with that all those things <laughs> all right talking to your next interest what is anthropology of time and temporality okay it's about how people perceive time and um oh it's been um I actually really love to talk about anthropology but it's been a while I didn't actually uh been back into the academic life of anthropology but I'm actually interested in anthropology of time and how people how it's just basically about how each culture define uh about the concept of time and also how they perceive uh what this time so I Uh, I think I have read some articles and some publications of other scholars like few years back but I haven't read recently so it's just to to say um in general it's about uh, how people perceive the concept of time and um oh I'm sorry I forgot about like my own research field to talk about so um I uh, studied the Mongolian ident about the Mongolian ident national identity. So when I first started uh, learning about cultural anthropology, I uh, started questioning what is Mongolian identity, what is our identity as a Mongolians. So it was very interesting that 
it was um, challenging and I was struggling to answer this question. It was never, it was kind of like, I don't know what is the uh, identity. We often talk about like, a, okay, Mongolia is a land of eternal blue sky and the land of great Genghis Khan. But what this actually is the Mongolian identity. So I start, I decided it's, um, I should actually study my own identity. So I uh, wrote a thesis on how Mongolian, there are actually a lot of Mongolians living in Hungary and how those Mongolians being far away from their motherland, how they're constructing their Mongolian national identity. So uh, my uh, academic research field is mostly about uh, identity. And um, also my interested areas are um, Anthropology of music, ethnomusicology, anthropology of sound, and um, mostly on this area. Talking about national identity and people migrating, when I was doing a research about Mongolia, I found out it has very close relationship with Czech Republic and Hungary. So why why these two countries in particular? What is the relation between Mongolia and uh, these countries? Uh, uh, shifted into the democratic regime in 1990s. Um, the Mongolia was part of the Soviet uh, Union. So for back in the 70s, 60s, 70s and 80s, a lot of people was able to study in the Soviet Union country. So I think uh, because of that, a lot of people, uh, it was easy to go travel to mostly Hungary and also Czech Republic. So because of that, a lot of people uh, migrated and also established the relationship just going back and forth. And that's how it began. And also from the Hungarian side, Hungarians actually um, considered themselves as the Eastern originated culture in the Europe, in the European culture. So they try to draw close to the Eastern culture, especially with Mongolians, because also the Hungarian national identity, they have this narrative of they migrated from the um, Central Asia as a, as a nomads on the back of the horse. So that's why they have this mindset of they are uh, kind of brothers and brothers and sisters with Mongolians. So they have this kind of patronization for also for Mongolians. Wow, that's an interesting talking topic when I talk to a Hungarian friend now. As a Mongolian, it was interesting experience. Um, whenever I was kind of like a met new Hungarian friends, they were like, okay, my name is Stad and nice to meet you. Oh, you're from Mongolia. Wow, we are brothers and sisters. And it was kind of with everyone. And I was like, wow, that's very interesting. I have never experienced like, wow, you're Mongolian. That's cool. And I was like, okay, like, it's very, very funny and strange to like people thinking being Mongolian is cool. And that was strange for me. And then I understood why, because they have this um, idea and narrative that they have historical tie back in the days.
I had a friend in school in my boarding school who was from Mongolia but we have lost touch since then he was very good at judo lifting and throwing around no matter how heavy you are at all type of wrestling uh judo um the freestyle and also sumo and <laughs> yeah they're doing good did you wrestle as well yes yeah um the very few um olymp medalists are with uh, are the judo wrestlers and the uh, samba what type of wrestling did you do what type of what type what type of wrestling did you do i did I did not do any wrestling. Not every Mongolian is to wrestling. <laughs> so this is why I do modern Mongolia. So um, I know this is a very uh, common and popular sport among Mongolians, but not everyone does that. Um, for me, I did, um, you know, the rhythmic uh, gymnastic uh, as, a, as a child just for three, two years and not much since since i was a child and um and that's it as for the sport i'm not very good at sport so this so this friend of mine i was very surprised because i usually i'm very tall and heavy so i'd never imagined or felt anybody lifting me up but he lifted me up and he threw me so i was like wow somebody actually lifted me up <laughs> so that, that was interesting Uh-huh. Yeah, interesting. Talk about I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I I just came back from my friend, friends, one of my best friends, and she actually studied in India. Uh I think in southern India, but I'm sorry, I don't remember the city she studied and she was there for three years and I don't know, it just seems interesting. <laughs> music, music and sound. what have you researched or what what did you find interesting in it mm it's, it is very personal because i just i just love music i love every type of music and music is everything to me um that's just personal love for music so as a lover of music i just uh, i want to research about the uh, all kind of um uh ethno musics and um sounds also so i used actually as a teenager i was in a rock band for a very short time and um um yeah that that's uh, gone now i'm i i don't play actually music right now but be, um, i just love music and just uh, to research it in academic level i think it will be very interesting to deepen the knowledge uh, of the music in a more academic way and also practically so actually there are a lot of also anthropologists who are who um uh, study and research mongolian music especially the uh, horse head fiddle the musical instrument also the throat singing which is komi so there are a lot of Uh, foreign researchers who are in, uh, who had done some writings and publications i'm not sure if i'm i think i'm not sure if i'm going to research mongolian music but i'm very interested in um kind of uh, far eastern music and uh, 
also uh, desert music, Saharan blues, etc. So at the moment, it's just a personal interest. I love to listen to music, but I haven't done any like kind of research yet. But and hopefully, I will do it in coming years. What what position or what was your role in the band? My role was I uh, used I used to be the lyricist and also the front singer and also played some rhythm guitar sometimes <laughs> and that's it. But the awesome it was very very dark. You know the teenager years are not very bright. Like we are <laughs> we were very emo and like just writing about my own like inner uh, confusion or conflict etc so it's just very funny to look at those just yeah kind of funny can you please sing for us oh no that's <laughs> um i i don't know because that was like uh, more than a decade ago and i just left it left everything there it's okay it's okay no i okay i i don't i can't sing any of the old songs um, from the band but uh, i don't know i might sing just some uh, any other mongolian song or something like that let me let me take a look is it okay if i just uh, try to sing yes sing anything mongolian song or something like that Yes. yes. I didn't expect this. <laughs> and I'm uh, I can't believe I'm going to do this. Um just just the, the while I'm looking for the the song what what kind of music have you been listening recently? What was the songs or music that you loved recently? I haven't heard to music in a long time. I usually used music on my Twitter spaces or I used to just play whatever is the top charts on uh, Spotify. But usually I like to listen to, I have a playlist of Indian songs. But my mother, my mother is a classical singer, classical Indian music singer. So she sings and because of her influence, I like those uh, classical Indian music also. When I was studying in Budapest, I actually used to work in an Indian restaurant just for a month. And it was Ayurvedic restaurant. It was quite famous on the TripAdvisor. Uh, I think the name of the restaurant was Maharana. And it, uh, it, we used to play that uh, compilation of Indian um, songs and I actually love the melody of Indian songs and I love I love it. <laughs> By the Mongolian throat singing, you mean the Tibetan style, right? I cannot sing it, but it is. Yeah, I think it, it's not called Tibetan style, but it's just I can't do it. Of course, I can't ex- um, demonstrate it, but. It's from the throat. There, people learn it with the technique. And if you know the who, the band, they sing with. Uh, they incorporate this element of throat singing in their to their song. And um, these days, the who band is actually taking over the world. They are just people are crazy about them, and I also love them too. 
Till she is pulling up the songs, guys. Do go. What? Till she is searching for the song, guys. Go and subscribe to Modern Mongolia podcast. Links in the description. I have actually like a lot too many playlists on my Spotify, and I can't find the songs. Uh, Okay. Um can I just uh Can I just play the song in very in a very soft low volume and then just sing is it okay will it be okay yeah yeah you can plug your earphones to the song to the mobile and then sing to them sing in the mic oh that's a good idea um yeah you can see i, I was very unprepared for this <laughs> Life is unpredictable. <laughs> okay, I think I will go with the um, the singer Sarantoya. He she is a very famous nineties um, singer, and Okay, I'll go only for one verse. Um, I could. Uh, okay, this is the song called "Harrison Sitkil," the uh, lovers' uh, song. I don't know love song. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind of awkward like this all the time <laughs> when I. Harrison Sitilmen, Haros Lardo Sanch, Harndaoir Hara, Chameram Bodohio, Hatu Horboki, Telling Bodohlor, Harrison Sitilmen, Haros Lardo Rehum. I think that's it. <laughs> yep, that's it. Yeah, I think um, 
All right, thank you. I should uh, pre prepare for such events and I should think of a song that I'm ready to sing next time. This is so, this is so good. Very nice, very nice. So for me, listening for the first time, the lyrics sounded a bit like a Japanese song. I believe your language is very similar to Japanese and Chinese. The Mongolian language is um, similar to, uh, like, I don't know. I think Japanese is for the first time I, uh, I hear that Mongolian sounds like Japanese. But people say all different kind of languages. Sometimes they say it's like Russian or I don't know um, Kazakh, and uh, a lot of uh, some of my. Uh, foreign um, friends say that you always talk like that you are having a fight or it sounds quite i don't know uh, hard or harsh but we we were just talking and it sounds like we are like having a quarrel or something like that okay let's do one thing can you close your eyes for a moment for us think of your favorite memory And now tell the memory to us in your own language, in your mother tongue. Um, Mongolro, but the church is so unknown. But her work away gets sighter. Ongreen, Nick Tosant Petek, Nitterland, Ogin Tachich, Hoyer, Gorondatan, Yongrosen, Hitiak, Burmash Koyakim. Бүрэний Slat Barney, he him bought Bago, the dope terrific me the Juno Bertles in it, and the hot he jugged, Zermagot, Iokoi, Utrangotik, and Grochisa. How do you feel about it? Very interesting. I'm hearing for the first time, and we do this usually to get the sound of different countries and how the languages. Yesterday, we are hearing. The Inuit language from Greenland. <laughs> you got to hear that. It's very different. So your language, it's called Mongolian language, right? What's the name of the language? Yeah. It it was a mix. It sounded a bit like Chinese, but also like Russian, like a mixture of that. Probably it's because of geographical location. It has had the influence. A lot of Russian word and also as well as the Chinese word that I that are um, uh, adapted into Mongolian uh, um, because of the history and um, uh, there is also actually the um, vertical writing script that is uh, the traditional Mongolian script and ironically 
us, uh, the Mongolians, we don't use it as an official language. Um, but the inner Mongolians, who are the part of the China, they use it as the as their uh, official language, and they uh, everyone is writing in the traditional Mongolian script. But now we we don't use it daily, so most of Mongolians don't know or can't write or can't read the script. Um, but our um, that language was uh, converted into Cyrillic. Uh, alphabets since 1940s and then it stayed like this we have the Cyrillic alphabets now Cyrillic as in uh, the Russian okay it's called Cyrillic I didn't know that alright before we go to the next question can you translate your best favorite memory in English for us about the um, right before I came back to Mongolia in 2020 because of the pandemic. Um, I stayed with in in the Hungarian village uh, for three weeks with with the uh, old Dutchman, and I found that uh, man through the workaway side. I just wanted to get away from the city and experience the countryside life of Hungary. And then we stayed. I stayed there with my friend. And it was, I think, when I think back, it was the the time when I was most happy because it, I was just in the moment, just uh, enjoying life. There was not much to do, um, not much working or just studying or nothing. We just enjoyed um, cooking, sometimes cleaning. We we just wanted to clean the house as, as a thank you. And he was uh, cooking for us. We had uh, some very nice cherry beer together, and it was very nice. We sometimes in the morning we used to run in the field of sunflowers, and it was just very magical. And this is the memory I love the most. And he had a, a few chickens and um, three cats and a dog and. And we stayed in her in her in his uh, caravan, and he, I think he didn't actually host any other travelers since us because of the pandemic. And I hope to see him someday. So, he, yeah, he just looks like a Santa Claus and very lovely man. So, this is uh, just a lovely uh, memory that I like to think back to. Very interesting. Glad it's a recent memory. Usually people go back to their childhood or some way back time, but very nice to hear about this story. Modern Mongolia podcast. Why did you start that and what can the guest listen or what topics do you cover in the Modern Mongolia podcast? with the people uh, when I, I was in abroad uh, people were very excited to hear about that I'm Mongolian but um, some of them didn't know about if uh, the what the Mongolia was as a country and all they heard about was of course the Chinggis Khan and um, just some roaming like horses and there are some gear tents and people are I don't know leaving they're just like running on their horses. So I thought p- 
people really didn't have any kind of um, sources in English that uh, inform about them about contemporary Mongolian culture. And I looked up on it and I couldn't find nothing. And there was a bunch of contents, but it, it was all on in uh, Mongolian and there was none in English. So I just thought, why don't I start it and just talk with expats in uh, about like how they um, imagined first uh, imagined about Mongolia and how they experienced in real life Mongolia and what was the difference and just wanted to explore on that. So I thought after I um, started the podcast, I actually all received very good feedbacks from people. So I thought, okay, I think I should keep doing this. So I think that's the idea. And uh, people who are listening to the Modern Mongolia podcast, they can um, gain information about just how the real uh, reality is at the moment in Mongolia. Because um, if you try to find, I don't know, just type uh, Mongolian culture or something like that on the internet or YouTube, you just find those um, uh, vlog travel vloggers video or those, uh, you know, the... Um, travel uh, videos that are like just only show you the very nice nature there are like uh, mountains land and animals but they don't actually give you the real um, idea of how life is Mon in Mongolia because there's also the urban life in Mongolia which is where the most of the uh, life is happening in the city center and only for the few summer months uh, people just uh, roam around the countryside and they came back in September and all the life is happening in the Ozlamatar uh, uh, city. So I think they had a uh, really lack of resources to know the insights of this side of life in Mongolia. It's funny because most of the Mongolian population lives in the city Yet people try to cover and show the outskirts. <laughs> you see those videos and you think, wow, this looks so amazing. I want to travel to Mongolia. And when you come here, there's a lot of, a lot of struggles. And I, um, I would love to talk both the struggles and uh, challenges, hardships, and also the uh, what is nice and what is the things that you could not experience in other countries and what are the bright sides of Mongolia and both of them in a balance. Yeah. What is the correct pronunciation? Is it Changes Khan, Ganges Khan or Ganges Khan? Chingis Khan, right? Mm. The the name Chinggis is um, originated from the word Tingis, which is uh, which is the word for ocean Tingis, and then it's uh, shifted into Chinggisang. So mm -hmm. that's how we pronounce it in India, Chinggisang. But I don't know how how did they started adding G in front of it. It it makes it a very different name than right. Russian pronunciation or something like that, and people just some people thought uh, thought you um, said that Genghis, and then it just uh, 
Chengiz Khan, guys. Remember. In modern Mongolia, how do people connect with Chengiz Khan's story and how do they celebrate or commemorate him today? Or do people hate him? This is, of course, our national pride. Uh, he is our national pride. And um, and actually, the anthropologically, uh, the Chinggis Khan is... Um, is a very big concept for Mongolians. It's not just the one person, one uh, just Kang from the past who did this all kind of uh, the great battles and expanded his territory, but it, it is a whole concept because uh, because of the Chinggis Khan, Mongolians love this great big masculine, powerful male uh, figure, and it is often reflected in our political choices and etc. So you can see that how this uh, narrative and also concept of Chinggis Khan influences uh, Mongolians and their daily life choices. So we love, of course, we love Chinggis Khan and mostly we celebrate uh, Chinggis Khan during the Natan Festival, um, uh, which is in July for um, three days, but mostly it's uh, for uh, five days. It's a, a public holiday and um, everyone is just celebrating and traveling. And also there is a Chinggis Khan's uh, kind of birthday in, on, in I think, um, um, December 29th, if I remember uh, right. So we celebrate that day and we also have a public holiday on that day. And of course, on everything culturally, we just um, respect and celebrate Chinggis Khan in everything. And also uh, the that... uh, Mongol study is actually, in academic world, it's quite big uh, scientific field. And there are a lot of, a lot of scholars and scientists that know about the history of Chinggis Khan and also write about it. But actually, I know very little of it. <laughs> I'm going to pull up photos and share with the audience. Till that time, please write the name of your festival in the chat box so that I can pull up the festival images as well. Uh, yes, it's um, Nadam Festival, one of the biggest uh, celebration of uh, Mongolians. So there are basically very bu big, uh, two big celebrations for uh, Mongolians. Um, that is part of our also um, cultural and national identity. So one happens in the in the end of the uh, winter and beginning of this um, beginning of the spring, which is you know the uh, lunar new year. We call it Taransar, uh, and another one is this Natam festival. So there are three kind of um, um, competition that happens. And the wrestling, of course, and horse racing and the uh, archery. And this is a traditionally um, traditional celebration, cultural celebration of Mongolians. And it's every year it celebrates the anniversary of the great Mongol Empire uh, and also the uh, independence of uh, Mongolian state. Wow. wow. Well, when does this happen? 
year July 19th, 9th to uh, 11th. 10th. July 19th to 11th. Is it ongoing right now? The national celebration is uh, on uh, 9th to 11th for three days. Uh, but for each AMAX and each regions, it happens throughout the uh, whole July. So for some SOMS and region or AMAC, which is the administrational unit of Mongolia, they celebrate it separately, maybe on 20th of July, something like that. So it's kind of like a summer festival. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. We are talking about the festival during the national festival going on in Mongolia. Yes. And a lot of, uh, also this is a big attraction for tourists and a lot of people come to see this uh, festival. And, yeah. Talking about Genghis Khan again, I have pulled his images here. You see, you see it on the screen, right? And this is his empire. Yes, um, actually, Mongolians are very nationalists, and we often talk about like we were ruling the world, and like they are. Most of the Mongolians are very nationalists, but I think. Of course, it had a lot of impacts in the uh, glo- in the global history and how other cultures had uh, developed throughout the history because of the impact of the Mongol Empire. But uh, um, just personally, I think um, some people are too nationalist that they're just only talking about the things of that already happened in the past but right now just um, we should be very realistic about it of course it's it's not um wrong to be proud of our history it's good but uh, sometimes i feel like some people just exceed it and too nationalist so mongolian empire is actually larger than russian ussr it looks like Biggest empire ever, even bigger than the Alexanders? Even bigger, biggest, it was the biggest. And there are a lot of uh, cultural artifacts in in the biggest uh, galleries and museums in um, all over the country, I think, but not in uh, Mongolia, I guess. And those are the artifacts left from the Mongol Empire. And oh, actually, a year ago, we opened... Finally, a museum for Genghis Khan, and that one is quite a big museum and only dedicated for the Genghis Khan and his legacy. And one of the must go places they say that they visit, they should visit. So, this is the Mongol Empire compared to Roman Empire, so huge. You know, we had Mughals in India. They are the descendants in a way of the Mongols. So people in people from India watching that they are related to I mean they ruled India for a long many, many generations. 
but they were islamic they were followers islam um of course there are a lot of books written about the mongol empire and chinggis khan but one of the um like cultural uh, unique um legacy of mongol empire was chinggis khan was very uh, tolerant of uh, religiously tolerant and during the time of the mongol empire all kinds of religion was existing all together like um muslim christianity hinduism and also uh, the buddhism they uh existed together without any conflict in in peace so that is the thing that is kind of um often um talked about and celebrated about mongolian um that is amazing so what faith <sighs> what no you're doing great it's great information what faith was followed by chinggis khan yeah what religion did chinggis khan follow he himself was a we call it tinger uzel uh, which is the worship of uh, sky and it it was often written that he talked with Uh, the sky something like that so it's kind of like a um natural spirituality and also uh he also often i think discussed with uh shamans and there was also shamanism together with the worship of the sky and yes that is uh that was his belief spiritual belief beautiful so dear friends in the previous episode we spoke about greenland and today we are talking about mongolia which is right here um yeah as we've seen the mongol empire was very big and some i think there is a, even some genealogical research that say almost i don't know how many percent of the world population is kind of descendants <sighs> Chinggis Khan. I don't remember the details of it, but there are some uh, researches like that, and that is crazy. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, one out of every sixteen people is. Uh... I remember that number. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so why did he want to sp- spread his genes wherever he went? I I believe he didn't want it. It just happened. I guess just. the you know he had a lot of uh, wives and also children so when he's uh when the empire expanded he uh, assigned his children and uh thought sent their daughters to the political marriages so just inevitably it reached everywhere and i think every other empires was like long into marry the Chinggis lineage, etc. So, I believe. Yeah, I I read this. I've seen couple of videos on that. How politics, how important Chinggis Khan used his daughters to formulate political alliances, and how it is very interesting. You can search it up, guys. <laughs> so this is 
Mongolian. Where are you speaking from? I'm uh, speaking from my home in Ulaanbaatar. How do you spell? How do you spell that? Is it me? It's uh, I write it here. It's the capital city Ulaanbaatar. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Beautiful. So it's called the land of eternal sky. Yes, uh, there is. Yeah, mostly the sky is very blue and very bright, and um, there there are a lot of like quite sunny days in Mongolia. But the the in terms of weather, it's very dry, very very dry, windy, and. Um, um i don't know i i uh, as i observe most recently i think because of the global warm i don't know the summer months are even not months like it's just few days and it's mostly very very cold one of the coldest uh, city Ulamata is actually and it's getting even colder each year and the summer is getting shorter and uh i think there are kinds of uh uh, weather changes changes are happening in Mongolia, but um, there are a lot of cities mm-hmm. actually, and um, mostly the beautiful blue. But I think there are, of course, there is some kind of uh, geographical reason for that. And, and here you have the camels with two humps. Yes. <laughs> Yes, one. In the episode. One thing I love about Mongolia is there, are, there are various kinds of landscape in Mongolia. There are uh, mountains, high, very high mountain ranges, and also there is a desert. There are um, forests, and there is just uh, west steppe. So it's a quite challenging and also very nice. Ex- explorative uh, land landscape yeah. here yeah we we were talking about camels in the episode of chad chad is in central africa and he was talking about single hump anim- uh, camels and double hump camels so you find the double hump camels in the cold deserts like in mongolia we're talking about geography mongolia is landlocked so do you have to depend on other countries for your um, natural resources and all that? How is it a disadvantage or advantage or how would you call that? We are very dependent on other countries, especially, you know, our only neighbors that are Russia and uh, China, mostly. Yeah. We- yeah, you have only two neighbors. Yeah. Uh, general goods. Um, uh, on the on the China and yeah we could feel it during the pandemic when the China closed its border nothing worked in Mongolia like uh, everything just stopped and I think I believe maybe for 80 no 90 percent we we nine more than 90 percent we depend on China I think on everything but um, for natural resources uh, uh, this is the only field that we are actually exporting the some coal and um, 
um, the copper, gold, etc. So mining is the biggest industry industry in Mongolia. So you depend more on China than Russia. On the global trade, on we are depending on China, but on the I don't know on the political influence, etc. As I'm looking at these uh, things, people are writing and being um, suspecting about it. We are, I think, very influenced by also Russian politics. Mm -hmm. Talking about traditions and clothing, there's a very peculiar dress that I found only in Mongolia. Can you tell us about that? This one. This one. Yes, this is a traditional costume for... Okay, this one specifically is called the um, bride costume or wife costume. So this is the hair which is uh, made into this shape with glue and only the uh, women who had uh, married should uh, can do this uh, hair style. And this is called um, wife costume. And yeah, I think there are a lot of uh, influences from when we were under the rule of Manchu Empire. And this is when, yeah, this was created during the, I think, during the empire of Manchu rules. Um, For those who don't know, that is the China, empire in China. Yes. What, what um, is this real hair which is glued? Um, I believe these pictures are not real, but at the time when they were uh, actually wearing it, I believe they were you have having their real hair glued like this, and I believe it Ouch. must be. Ouch! That must be so tough to remove. So when are you when are you planning to get this hairstyle? Oh, I don't know, but I would love to have some, you know, this uh, uh, <laughs> shooting session just for once in my life to just to, um, just as a, mm. or it would be nice to have this, this kind of picture in a traditional costume. Yeah, it looks... So is this the bride and the groom? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> and of course, uh, yes, this is uh, another uh, ethnic costume from Ortos, which is from the Inner Mongolia. So each um, ethnic groups have their different um, different type of uh, traditional clothes, um, like they have differences in the headwear and also some parts of the uh, bed or some patterns are different, etc. So there are a little bit, little bit different nuances. So colorful and beautiful. It is. It's very beautiful. What are, what, are, what is your favorite food? Um. Oh, I'm sorry. I this uh, this wife costume. This was actually in the Star Wars uh, series for the Padme. And yes, um, you can search Padme costume, Mongolian costume. Yes. 
hair and yes like that so for the food um um i love oh let me think i just like some uh, noodle fry or um, fried rice uh, some we call it botata horok so um the most common foods here are um fried noodle we call it tuvang and people even say that you know every women who want to get married should first at first learn how to cook tuvang and because most of the men mongolian men love tuvang and it's just uh, we make the dough from scratch we mm, make the dough and flatten it and cut it and then we fry some beef or add some vegetables and then add the uh, noodles and we steam it and then mix everything so that's can very you type, can you type the name here sure sure it's called tuvang and you know it's uh, mongolian food is all meat and uh, there is boats hoshor it's a uh, boats is a uh, dumpling and hoshor is uh, very similar to empanada it's also meat inside the dough and it's fried these are kind so, of so <laughs> So the, so the I typed the name which you had said. So this is what is coming up. So have you? So have you learned this? Are you ready? Um. Yes. I I can cook it, but uh, I I wouldn't say I I cook it the best. Like it's I I I know how to cook it, but uh, I just I think my tuvang is just uh, medium tuvang. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many horses do you even have horse meat yes horse meat we um, so during mostly in november we prepare uh, the meat for the whole months of winter so it's called a dish and uh, when we type it type it we prepare a dish um, it means we prepare the meats uh in a pack just um prepare all the meat that we're gonna consume during the months of uh, mo- winter so for example one family prepare like half of the um cow uh, leg something like that and some uh few kilograms of horse meat and one whole sheep meat etc so these are um, prepared and uh, cut into pieces and we uh, keep it in our freezer. So it's called a dish. And actually, uh, people say that horse meat is very uh, health, has a lot of health benefits. And especially, it's good to have it in the uh, win- winter and in the cold weather. So yes, we do eat that. I would... I don't know about meat, but I would love to try horse milk. 
the horse is milked and it's fermented into arak and arak is our um, traditional beverage and uh, once it's fermented it's uh, it has kind of you know alcoholic agent and if you drink too much you will get drunk but it has also a lot, a lot of um, health benefits too so um, you make alcohol from milk <laughs> Uh, our traditional um, vodka is called uh, Shimingerg, which is distilled from Mongolian traditional vodka is distilled from milk. And it the color is kind of also this milky, has its milky color, and it tastes uh, similar maybe like sake or soju. It has a very low percentage of alcohol. But uh, it knocks you out, like it suddenly knocks you out. <laughs> yeah, so people collect the um, collect the yogurts and uh, they collect the yogurts and boil it and then um, uh, oh, filter the boiled yogurt into um, curd. And we boil the curd again and then distill the alcohol out of it. So it's called milk vodka. What is Wow. I just... I just typed what you said. I just typed Mongolian horse milk alcohol and this is what came up. But it's very interesting. I didn't know... That if you further boil curd, it becomes alcohol. <laughs> there is a whole a lot of procedure to it, and um, only uh, the countryside families do it because it's how it's done in the in the countryside. And I think there are a uh, um, few uh, national brands that sell this um, distilled vodka what is the name um, that's I, I, I don't know should she mean you know salt I heard that you add salt in your tea milk tea <laughs> why <laughs> I think yes, milk tea is just our we consume milk tea drink every day daily, and it's for for some elders it's just uh, it's just like a food or soup, and um, uh, we uh, boil the tea, uh, make the tea, add milk and then some salt, and it's Mongolian milk tea. But uh, in some regions, they don't add uh, salt or some, you know, for some personal um, preferences or some health issues. Some people don't. But what is the reason for adding salt in the milk? To be honest, I don't know what is the reason, but uh, it is how it's done. So I think for the very first time, it might seem very, very odd Um to, the taste might feel very odd, but once you get used to it, it's it's quite good. 
long breath and it feels like I can take a deep breath and I can feel free. And you will feel, you can feel that when, when you actually travel to the countryside, you can actually feel the word spaciousness. There's a lot of space. So if you leave a plate of chips, it won't get all that lumpy because it's dry. It always will remain crunchy. <laughs> it's a very, very dry, but of course... And space. And space. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So when you went to Budapest and abroad, did you did you want space? Like, did you feel congested? Um, not actually, but I I also uh, dearly loved uh, Budapest. Um, just just uh, the you know the um. Just I we don't have to get any permission to just camp, to do the wild camping. So maybe just the that can be kind of a privilege here, the privilege of Mongolians. Maybe in other countries I have to go through I don't know, getting permission, just being allowed to the certain area and camp there, and yeah. You know before the- you know before the next question I had one about Genghis Khan. Are there any specific customs, traditions, rituals in Mongolia that trace back to the Genghis Khan Empire? Um, there must be a lot, actually. There must be a lot of uh, such customs. Um, let me think. Um, for example, the celebration of Tagansar, which is Lunar New Year in uh, February, we celebrate it on um, different dates each year, uh, depending on the moon calendar. So that is the whole uh, symbolism and rituals and everything related to the Tagansar, uh, I, I think, uh, is still uh, kept until to this day. And Tagansar was um uh was celebrated since the Genghis Khan's empire yeah excuse me i can't hear you anymore oh. i was on mute what is one thing that you would like to change about your country Okay, the first thing that came into my mind is the um, address system. It is very complicated to find or navigate yourself in, especially in Ulaanbaatar. It's messy. I, I don't know how, pe- how tourists uh, navigate around this city. It's, it's completely messy. So first thing, I would change uh, this uh, address system and make this... Uh, make the address better and have this new system of like i don't know order and having all the streets names and the um all this navigation would be better so (laughs) that is very hard that's why it's very also actually hard to have this um um oh the 
business for like you know the Oh, one second. That's what I was going to say. It must be very difficult for Amazon and eBay type of delivery businesses. I'm sorry. Sometimes my brain just freezes and forgets words. So I was going to say that it is very difficult to develop delivery businesses. That's why. So you can. So you cannot order anything online. But. <laughs> Um, it's not perfect, it's uh, still working, but it must be very difficult for other regions that have gear areas. So uh, if you don't know, there is a gear district in Ullamater, which is actually a um, majority part of this city is gear areas. So there are um, gear, which is called gear district, which is only unique to this uh, city. Uh, there are districts of gear who people are living in gear and uh, it's a whole district. So what, is- so what is complicated about the address? Is it, don't you write the name of the street, the flat, uh, the house number, the street number, and then the pin code? Is it so simple? What can be more complicated about it? I think everything, um, because of, I think, there are a lot of problems with the, you know, the urban planning side. And I guess um, there have been built a lot of new buildings and also these care district areas had expanded without any prior uh, planning. So that's why they have these address issues or they are not registered. They just, you know, as just ironically, just I said that... Um, it's very free to just roam around in the countryside and camp everywhere. So when countryside people migrate from countryside to uh, city, they just put their gear in everywhere without any kind of planning. Or also, also the administration uh, uh, um, regulation is very poor, and that's why a lot of unplanned regions and streets, also buildings. It's getting, actually, this, uh, uh, I don't like this tall, very tall building skyscrapers, but it's getting, a lot of buildings are being built newly, and I don't know where this city is going. I also like, I also like the point that you pointed out. It is co-related to traditional countries like India, China, or maybe Egypt, that people take a lot of pride in the olden things, but they just talk about it and they become less productive in day-to-day life. We should have a balance of tradition as well as innovation and forward moving. Take inspiration from the past to do better in the future. What are your thoughts on that? I uh, completely agree with that. Um, actually, we are experiencing a lot of uh, people... Um, going abroad, uh, choosing to uh, live abroad, and we're having, you know, the brain drain. So majority of the young people, teenagers and high school kids, they say that they will study in uh, foreign country, I don't know, US, Australia, or somewhere else, because they don't want to stay in Mongolia. And this is because there are a lot of things to be solved and a lot of problems and a lot of things that need to be 
um, taken care of and uh, get better. And there are actually a lot of problems. And that's why people are uh, choosing to uh, live abroad. And um, yes, and I agree with that. But people like you, people like you who study and come back and bring a positive vibe to your country are helping in a good way and uh, emotionally prepare themselves a lot and they come back like okay i'm ready to face all these challenges etc so it um because there's a lot of uh this uh, foundational problems related to the infrastructure and uh, urban planning etc um the social stress is very high here so um yeah people mostly people are very stressed and very not very always very nice to each other and um so because of those uh, um underlining problems um people have a lot of stress but if you are willing to go through that stress and truly i don't know live here and try to be part of the solution some people do that but uh, i i'm also kind of planning to you know also move and um continue you're also planning to drain your own brain (laughs) i can say that i'm running away but uh, this is my choice (laughs) yeah but i won't stop doing the podcast i will keep doing the podcast about mongolia you know talking about we talked about problems but every country has their unique opportunities so what do you think is great business and investment opportunity in mongolia um many people uh, who studied abroad say that um, there can be a lot of business can be actually uh started here and localized in mongolia but the you know the we have very few population and the market size is quite uh, small so I think it has to be very clever. But um, as I observed, uh, one good thing about Mongolia is um, there are very good, you know, the IT personnel and very good workforce for um, IT business based on coding and uh, online business. So it is a place. I have an an idea. It's It's a billion dollar idea. Listen carefully. Yeah, you are the land of eternal, uh, eternal blue sky. Fill the land with solar panels, and you can lead the world with solar energy. Yes, right, right. I believe, um, you know, these green technology companies are starting to look on this ideas and starting to develop projects. I guess, and also the yeah, because. It's such huge land, right? Free land. You could have such big solar farms and then maybe just somehow capture the energy, electricity and export it. I believe people already thought about this and maybe only the problem would be, you know, like the shipping and transportation cost is huge to Mongolia and also the people who can um, 
continue working, uh, keep the business working and um, running the business can be a problem because they need to train the people and I guess that. What is the cost of petrol in the country? As it's landlocked, I believe it's very expensive. So um, we use a liter for uh, for the petrol and one liter of uh, gas is oil is um, 3,000, no, 2,382 Greeks, which is less than a dollar. Let me... let's let's convert it to dollar it's um so you're telling me that gas is cheap um i don't know if it's cheap actually but do you get your oil do you have um oil oil wells in mongolia or do you import it from russia we import it from russia ah ah that's why i believe that's why okay okay so so it's like uh it's like one point one point um six dollars okay okay almost the um, same everywhere i believe all right in in mongolian language how do you appreciate something how do you call something is beautiful or Somebody is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's the, okay, we when just when you asked your question, I just thought, okay, I think we don't say actually a lot, a lot of compliments to each other. I don't know, but um, of course we say compliments and uh, appreciate things between friends or etc. But it's not common that. I don't know, the strangers say these nice things to each other, I guess. And when we appreciate things, I we say, um, etc. So we just say, you look very nice. You look very cute. It's very nice. Yes. Okay. Yanste, you can say uh, if you want to say cool, you can say yanste, duk, yanste. Sorry, can you repeat that? Um, it is. Uh, it's you're saying wow, it's cool. You can say yanste, yanste. Yanste, yanste. Modern Mongolia podcast is yanste. Thank you. <laughs> Bairla, yeah, thank you, it's Bairla. Bairla. Bairla, yep. Bairla. Bairla. All right, awesome. What is a, is a wedding ritual that is very unique to only to Mongolia? We spoke about gluing the hair, but is there anything else that is only there in Mongolia? So that costume is not actually, you know, the everyday use or common. No, I'm I'm asking about wedding ritual. You know, I know. Um, So it actually differs in the urban and rural areas uh, in each culture. So in urban, 
um, Mongolia. <laughs> so most of the uh, modern uh, weddings actually uh, very similar to the you know one, what you see in the Western movies, Hollywood movies. They wear the white gown and they have this um, you know the uh, bachelorette parties and they have. Um, big um, reception for uh, the invited guests and they just go through the aisle and they have this so it's it's a christian wedding it's not christian but the they they just copy the the ah. culture because of you know the popular because of the popular culture and traditionally um there is uh, there is two phases of the wedding. So first phase is to get engaged. So it's it's called birkwech. So it is when um, the family of the groom asks the uh, girl to be the bride and to get engaged. So this happens without actually bride and groom. Only the families and parents meet together and the um, groom's family asks uh, if they can... Um, have their girl welcome to their family and marry them and they kind of have this uh, kind of a feast and drink and sing together and sometimes the bride's um, family or parents can say no and they just reject it and they send them back and then uh, then they come back again ask again um, sometimes it happens like I don't know three times something like that but it, I hope it's uh, not so often and then after this uh, f- uh, ceremony they they got engaged uh, so then after they decide when to get married so the wedding is um, traditionally they just um, travel to the uh, travel to the bride's home and they they wear the Dell costume, tra- tra- traditional Dell costume, and they just uh, bring this, uh, you know, this uh, fabric which is called hadak, and that is uh, um, Buddhist culture, which is and um, adapted from the Tibetan culture, and they ask for the brides. Uh, again, parents married them, and they also have big feasts and also sometimes it differs in the region some regions they don't drink at all or some regions they drink for three days and have eat eat together sing together and like that and then they leave uh bringing the um, bride and go home with the bride wow i got to really appreciate you for so many guests we have on the episode, you have given the most detailed explanation of your wedding ritual. So, cheers for that. I have one related question. What is the attitude of youth towards marriage and having kids these days? But, um, so... Uh... You know, mostly in the Eastern culture, we are we can be, we are considered Eastern culture. So pe- we are encouraged to get married 
early in in our early 20s and um, of course it's there is a quite a uh, social pressure on uh, single women in their 30s or in their late 20s um, their friends or family they tell us that you should get married as soon as possible etc so it is encouraged to get married or we or people say to get a, find a husband as as early as possible and get um, have children and but as i uh, observe personally there are a lot of um young couples that they got married or they had the children together and then they separate early they get married earlier and then separate so there as i know there are a lot of single uh, parents single mothers and that is pretty common in uh, current contemporary mongolia yep and also people used but it's getting uh, now it's getting better but also people used to have a lot of stigma and taboo about getting married to a foreign person and people would think oh like they're contaminating the pure blood etc there is this blood narrative so but now it seems like people are getting more open to this uh, um intercultural marriages and it seems fine yeah amazing thank you for sharing i am observing that worldwide our youth are postponing the age of marriage i think it's getting pushed ahead to late 20s 30s so it looks like it's a common phenomenon everywhere i think it's a, it's a global phenomenon that people uh, especially i guess uh, the women prefer to get educated and have a career um have a stable career then they uh, decide think about to have a family so i think i also think it's a universal thing it could also be because of medical right because of people used to have more kids and early because they needed helping hands in the farm and people there was a lot of more mortality rate was high people used to just die so they needed a big family to support each other but as medical modern medicine is improving the age lifespan of a person is increasing i think people are okay with have postponing uh, marriage and kids to a later age so that they feel that they are doing more as much as they care <laughs> as they are young but to the other spectrum of this is japan japan is completely uh, the population is collapsing and they have they grow old they live in the same it's it's a very completely we still have to have a guest from japan we'll have in couple of weeks but that's the other end of the spectrum I think so Yeah just just looking at this uh you know the videos on the Instagram and uh, YouTube it seems like in Japan people just prefer to isolate themselves socially and just prefer to um I don't know interact with just the hmm what i'm observing in podcast is it's only africa was having most kids like <laughs> fertility rate is 5 and 6 
So five and six kids, every family. Uh, we spoke to DR Democra- Democratic Republic of Congo. That's the Central African country who we talked about the fertility rate and kids. Uh, but I think it's very common in Africa to have three, four, five, six kids. Okay. Kids, um, nowadays in Mongolia, families often have, uh, in, uh, in general, two kids and that's, that they, they, they consider it's enough. And yes, in um, my parents' generation, it used to be like uh, 10 kids or nine kids. That was kind of the everywhere. Um, there was a lot of people How have. How many siblings you have? Uh, I have just one sibling. I'm the uh, older sister, and I have just one uh, younger sister. And um, actually, there is a uh, state um, honoration for the mothers who gave birth to four kids, and it's called uh, um, we we call them uh, mothers with this uh, honor. And every year, there uh, because it is by policy to encourage people to give birth because we are you know very very few. Uh, there are only 3.5 million of Mongolians, so it is to encourage people to uh, reproduce by policy. So, yeah, if you so you celebrate women who have four kids. When wow. yes, it's uh, they they get honored from the president and they receive this medal, and they're given I, I don't know some kind of money or something like that. I think. Uh... How many kids do you want to have? Um, for me, ideally, I, I would love to have three kids. Why, Why not four? Make it four and get a medal. I don't know. I, I can't uh, promise on that. <laughs> I don't know. All right. All right. To the next question. What is your impression about India? Impression? Mm. Um... Mongolians actually not very um, exposed here in not very exposed into uh, different cultures a lot. So um, there are like uh, two very well known uh, Indian uh, restaurant here, and um, they they are chain restaurants here. And one one is called Tajma. Daily Darbar and another is Namaste, and the um, people who started these restaurants, they I, I believe they uh, lived here for I, I don't know for over twenty years, and I'm actually not uh, very aware or knowledgeable about Indians who are oh. living. No, it's okay. I, I just want to know general like when you hear India, what impression comes to your mind? Okay, like so uh, personally. Um, you know, uh, a lot of people say it is very, I don't know, very kind of, um, uh, a destination that you can travel as a pilgrim or something like that. But just, I love uh, the culture. Um, I have seen some movies, you know, the, that, which is very, uh, popular, Three Idiots and, uh, I love the movie PK. <laughs> if you have seen, I love PK, and um, I love sitar. I sometimes I listen to sitar. 
sitar music music wow. and um, the is it tabla or the tabla tabla yes and i love indian food actually yeah what what which one uh i'm sorry i feel very okay this is very basic but uh, i think i guess every mongolians love butter chicken <laughs> because butter chicken is the most popular here i guess and i love biryani and samosa yeah it's one of yeah it's one of the lesser spicy mm-hmm. things, right? yeah just just so yeah general yeah. i i know that uh, the food culture is very rich in india so i feel like i i can't uh, i i can't say enough of it so just this is just basic <laughs> yeah. What, if you could travel anywhere in the world, where would you go? Um, I would love to go to uh, Chile, Santiago. I have no, I don't know why. I don't know why. <laughs> Just seems like it's it's very nice. And actually, Mongolians uh, are visa free to most of the South American countries. So oh wow. oh wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, we have like we can stay I think up to uh, 30 days. So I would love to go to of course to uh Peru, go to um, the Machu Picchu and also um let me think. Of course the Iceland, Reykjavik and there are a bunch of uh, countries that I have in mind and I'll see if I can go there. And yes, I my actually dream is to become a surfer and so i'd love to go to somewhere they have beach and then i can surf whenever i get up in the morning so that might be i don't know costa rica or somewhere like that beautiful i'll convey your message because in next week we'll have a astronomer from chile and yeah we have in the previous episode we have had an entrepreneur and art collector from Argentina and also there is works in pipeline for Peru and Brazil so yeah i'll convey your message to the guest from chile <laughs> all right this is now we are going to the signature round but before that i want to ask one question about anthropology AI and anthropology. How do you think AI is impacting anthropology and culture? Yes. Um, the digital anthropology and how people are interacting with the technology and how it's impacting on uh, humanity and human culture is what will anthropology will study in the AI field. So, the question is actually our question, like uh, how will it impact on people? So um, when um, so if the anthropologist is uh, working in the AI field, and I imagine that they would be looking at how uh, people are perceiving this AI are changing the concepts, um, the general and the regular concepts into something new. For example, the concept of money, uh, like, okay, this is different than AI, but for example, uh, the 
concept of money is now completely changed into digital. So um, it's also impacting how we spend or how we uh, earn money. So it's like that. We just um, only the anthropological lens is uh, directed on certain topic, but the idea of the anthropology is to ask the questions and observe people and um, understand people how they are identifying the the topic and how they are um, connecting with the topic in a personal and subjective way. Amazing. I, I would love to see how it unfolds. For me as a podcast host who is talking to people around the world, I definitely see a change in having access to talk to people without traveling, get to know about their culture, talk to them face to face. I feel this is a big advancement and I'm very happy about it. Um. To talk about anthropology in Mongolia, it's um, there's a lot to be done here. Anthropology is very new in Mongolia, and it's kind of like uh, uh, going behind the contemporary anthropology. It's only uh, there's a uh, a lot of ethnographic work was done here about Mongolian ethnic groups and uh, traditional rituals, etc. But there are um, tons of tons of contemporary anthropologic topics that can that are waiting to be researched in Mongolia. So I hope to be um, one of the anthropologists who would do that in Mongolia. Best wishes for that. Next to the, Next to the signature round. Name three people living or dead, that you would like to have lunch with? Okay, the first came in. Um, my, um, for me, the number one uh, musical band is uh, Tool, the band named Tool. And the lead singer, Maynard James, I'd love to have the uh, lunch and have a talk because that man is some a fascinating person he has uh, he is the lyricist and uh, i'd love to talk about the lyrics and also he has the um wine uh, business which is called caduceus and he makes wine and that would be so interesting to just to have a chat and um second um i would love to uh talk one of the one of my grand, grand great grandparents maybe my great grand grandfather because i've heard a lot that he was uh, very um very religiously rigorous and very very hard working man and also very humble so i it would be interesting to see the um ancestors of mine in as a as a real person and talk to in person face to face and third um, um let me think um yeah just just a, a friend of mine who is living in uh, paraguay so he is my hungarian friend 
So I haven't seen him uh, for a long time. So just I would love to have a chat with him and have a lunch. <laughs> That would be nice. Second part to the question is, if you could ask one question to them, different question for different people, what question would you ask? This is very interesting. Okay, for uh, for the um, for the singer of the tool, um, I would ask that. Um, mm, I don't know. I would ask uh, the pers- personal question rather than the lyrics, etc. So, um, I think I would try to exercise myself, my uh, current uh, uh, current state of life. Like, how did you feel about making music, and how um, how were you insecure about something? So, so I think my question is: Were you insecure about anything in your life? And uh, secondly, for my great grandfather, I would ask uh, just the just the same question: like, um, what is your? Um, could you sing me a song? <laughs> and I oh. yes, could you sing me a song? I, I I believe or I imagine he might sing some uh, folk song or some. Uh, there uh, we have a. A traditional folk song, which is called Long Song, and maybe he might sing me Ortendo, uh, which is Long Song. And for the friend of mine who is living in Paraguay, I might ask that um, about his love life. <laughs> How is your love life lately? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Fantastic. About music, I would suggest you. In one of the modern Mongolia podcast, bring musicians and the focal music. You could share that. I mean, I'm re- really looking forward to it. That's great, and um, yes, I have a uh, uh, few people that I have in mind that I would love to uh, invite as a guest on my podcast. So, uh, until I leave, I will. Uh, Meet those people who are mostly expats lived here. So once I leave Mongolia, I think I might turn the podcast into maybe this uh, um, format, and I might uh, invite those uh, artists, Mongolian artists. That is a very good suggestion. Thank you very much. So I I know that people are interested in this type of uh, guests. So. Absolutely, please let me know when you publish it, and I would love to hear that. Next question: How to make money? How to make money? Um. Um. I I believe that uh, everyone has uh, some kind of thing that I I can teach for others. So, for me, I would. Uh, Oh yeah, I learned how to bake a sourdough bread during the pandemic. So, first thing I can do if I have, uh, I don't know, I'm completely unemployed and something like that, I would bake a bread and then sell it. Oh, 
So what do you do now apart from Modern Mongolia podcast? I'm do I'm working as a freelance researcher. So at the moment I'm uh, doing a research on Mongolian diaspora for the uh, IOM International Organization for Migration. So I'm working on that. This is uh, the contract research. So after this I'm planning to go back into the academic research. very interesting so how does that work do do they give you grant or what are the conditions or how do you reach them or how does the deal unfold yes in the academic uh, arena it yes you uh when once you are um specialized in certain topic or area you uh look for the grants and and if you actually there are a lot of uh opportunities if uh if you look for um fellowship and cooperation and there are a lot of organizations that would uh, be very um, open to work with the researcher or academic so any type of universities will can welcome you and host you and also you can go for grants and I love anthropology because it it gives a lot of freedom because as an anthropologist you can even become an artist uh, because like I know a lot of um I know some uh artists who are doing that for example they're um printing the microscopic image on the cloth and they're creating a cloth etc yeah that's why I, it's very uh flexible to go into any direction how is the process do you suppose somebody who's just curious okay i like to do research i like to talk to people but don't know how to start or where to start from what do you tell them you just you just mm, go and start it's just like people who are doing tiktoks you know go going to the like uh, just saying to the person like i'm doing this tiktok can you can you do this or something like that just asking questions and i feel like this is very much like uh, doing anthropological field work because for example when once okay i'm for example i'm researching this kind of um um community of um okay vegans then i would just uh, go to them and i would introduce myself i'm a researcher who are, who is researching this vegan veganism and i would love to be part of the community and i will first the first phase is to build a rapport and create a relationship so this takes time so you just need to show up every day and just be, become a friend and uh, but of course you should uh, be transparent that you are going to research them and then it starts there so actually an uh, anthropological field work takes time because in order to um research them and also represent them write about them in uh and to have the um true um truthful information it takes time so the starting point would be just to go up to the people and start introduce yourself and just hang out with them so suppose for this podcast if instead of sponsorship i want to get a grant because in a way as we discussed it's it's a whole good database of anthropology or culture and 
the human condition in every country around the world so whom do you think would be interested in giving a grant or whom do you think would benefit and how can they do that um that's uh, that can yep yeah. um yes anthropologists are also about documenting the cultures so i think you can go look for the uh, grants that will uh, support the documentation of any type of the cultures and um mm, okay i don't know if uh, about the podcast but for example just to give you an idea there are um Uh, there is also ethnographic and anthropological films you can make or you can make a book out of it out of the information you collected and um, because you are talking to all different kind of cultures uh, I, I think it might be um, hard to approach just one particular organization that studies a certain just one culture so it might be uh, good to um, approach to the uh, international organization that work with a lot of different cultures and different uh, researchers that are working in different areas i will think about it actually <laughs> i will think about how you can um take a grant or develop into the very interesting project about different cultures. Yeah, because, yeah, because I want to do and be very authentic to the conversations and finding the information. If I just focus on sponsorship or ads, it becomes a little commercial. Um, so that's why I was wondering if there's a, is there's a other way to do it more like a grant instead of a marketing or a sponsorship collaboration so yeah <laughs> let's think about it i'll be in touch with you yep yeah next question next question to you okay let's go on to the next yes yes next question to you what does art mean to you mm art oh that is very big question <laughs> um art for me okay is uh, uh, it is uh, some kind of you know the uh, creation um, painting or music um, poem whatever film it is some kind of uh, creation that is uh, that speaks about a personal story and uh, yeah i think that is art so I believe that uh, everyone can actually do or create art. What does what does art do for a society? Mm, it uh, functions as a mirror, and it reflects the society. So you can see yourself or see uh, the society from the art. So it's it's a mirror. what do you want to be remembered for i mm, yeah for modern mongolia podcast that's enough for me fantastic fantastic what is 
the life changing advice you have received um life changing advice oh or what is your favorite advice um uh wait do i not get any advice from other people i can't think of it um it can be a quote that you read or a lyrical line or a poem that you really liked and you keep suggesting yourself that's that's right um so recently i've been listening a lot of uh you know the podcast about the you know the spirituality and the the manifestation and uh, being conscious so a uh, very interesting and useful thing that i've been thinking is just um just to uh allow myself to uh, to be myself like uh to be honest i actually struggle with like a self kind of uh, resentment like i always think that okay i'm doing this wrong like all kinds of that bad thing about myself so i'm just learning to be um just um accept myself as myself so um yeah i think that that was the idea but i don't remember the exact line <laughs> line i'm sorry accept yourself as you are uh, with along with the the things that you don't like about yourself love yourself self <laughs> yeah i i can totally relate with that i struggled with issues of self esteem and confidence or too many things or un, un not having a clarity on what to do because of so many options and interests that is exactly yes same same for me yep and i used to think that is very bad uh also there is a mongolian phrase um traditional phrase that if you go after um, maybe it's not mongolian if you go after two rabbits you will have nothing like something like that i think there are similar phrases and yeah when when also i also have a lot of different kind of interests and a lot of different things that i'm doing at the same time um simultaneously so i used to think that that is very bad because i'm not good very extremely number one on any of them but i still love all of them and i want to do everything all of them and i used to think that's very bad but i'm starting to change that why not like i don't have to be uh, expert on everything but it's important to just uh, explore what i have an interest in and what i'm curious about you know listening to you i feel like it's you're just talking about you're talking about me i just feel i can relate so much with you yes in this uh, side i think then we are very similar yes then you understand yes so what well, i let me tell you what i have discovered or what has helped me there's this book called grit i will send you the link uh, just text me 
it tells you about finding purpose and how to persevere how to do, do it consistently so persistence is not a problem with me once i decide something i keep doing it and i'm very religious or i'll do it properly but finding purpose was the issue there are so many different things but which one should i stick to or which one which is the one thing i should do because then you like i'm doing this what about the other thing i'll miss that out or what and as you said doing all the things together makes you a jack of all trades and a master of none but it's better still better than one that's the complete quote uh but i am going on a way to narrow down and go to one particular thing that i could do so i i started this podcast many i mean i just want to do this till i talk to everybody in the world i there are many other interests that distract okay i could do this i'm wasting time and it also comes in the way of regret so i'm doing this but i didn't do that so i'm regretting not doing that but that would even happen if i did that i would regret about not doing this <laughs> so it's just better to just keep doing what one thing you're doing and i i decided to keep doing one thing for next one year five years 10 years and see how it folds unfolds so while you were uh, sharing um your uh thoughts on it i just remembered the line actually <laughs> and uh, it was it is from the book uh, master and margarita and it says um just um the the license paper will not make you a writer uh it, only the fact that you write means that you are a writer is something like that so it, the idea is that um you don't have to you know the uh go to the university or receive the degree to become something so i believe in that you know you can be an uh, amateur or unprofessional as people say but if you do something or pursue something um completely out of love and out of sincere curiosity that you have this calling from your heart then you can be anything you can be anyone and um for example i love you know the shade the singer and also you know the hans timmer they are not professionally trained but they are the masters of their craft and um, that is what i love about like that line that i just uh, said beautiful you don't need you just need to do to be an artist you need to do art if you want to be a musician do music you don't need a certificate or somebody to claim that you're doing that amazing a lot of interesting things uh, to stay connected even in the future all right next question to you what is the most priceless gift you have ever received mm um i think that's a gift of uh just living as i am right now as as this person like gift of life i would say and uh, this is yeah this is very spiritual idea and uh, i just think this is um 
you know, I listen to this uh, podcast, Know Thyself, and uh, um, in this podcast, they talk about all this, you know, this uh, universal consciousness and being grateful, etc. So I just believe um, living as a human on this earth is a great gift. <laughs> it might uh, sound a bit cliche, but I think that is so. Oh, and I also, uh, one of my uh, friend from um, France, he gifted me uh, this secondhand film camera and like uh, about a year ago, and he encouraged me to pursue this interest, new interest of me, and I'm um, completely in love with film photography now. So that was very unexpected gift that was given to me and I'm now pursuing this uh, photography also. <laughs> Do share it and we'll follow your film photography. Next question. What is on a bucket list next? Okay, bucket list next uh, is I am uh, planning to do... Um, Oh, okay. Okay, I, I thought something that will hap- that I'm planning to do uh, like a year later, but I just thought something else that I'm going thinking of to do early, like in, in a month or so. Uh, the bucket list is to learn how to do backflip. <laughs> I don't know why I have this idea that I want to learn that. And yes, I live near to this uh, sport complex that they uh, train there. There are some stunts and... I'm thinking of going there and asking them to just to teach me how to do backflip. Yeah, that's on my bucket list. That'd be so cool. I can do backflip in a swimming pool, but I cannot do on land. It would be nice to learn even on land, right? What gets you excited about the future? Hmm... I um exci- I'm excited about um finding my place to call home, very own home. Uh, because not, right now I'm not a homeowner. I'm uh, living with my mother actually, and uh, I'm excited about having just creating my very own space. So I don't know where it would be first, where it would be. But uh, in the in the far future or uh, in few years, I'm thinking about this beach uh, place that I said before. So just excited about having my own place and space that I can be uh, myself and create something, things that I love. What is your biggest regret or disappointment? Okay. Um, the regrets, uh, yeah, there are a uh, few regrets that I have be- because, uh, I am, oh, yes, yes. One is in, in the relationship area because I'm not very good at articulating my feelings to the, to others. So there are one, um, person I really, uh, like I had a crush on and I didn't actually express myself. So um, then I have this uh, regret that oh, I should have said and expressed myself. So I have this kind of regret. I'm trying to like improve in my uh, expression with words, etc. 
podcasting makes you really confident like in putting your words and expressing your thoughts so you're you're a step closer to that with modern mongolia so i hope so i'm still learning and um that is actually quite challenging for me because yes i think of course it's a skill that you learn and i'm kind of in the uh phase of developing this skill i'm not perfect at it sometimes i just completely mess up the message that i'm trying to give but that's fine but that's fine yeah mm i <laughs> i relate to that as well so i i didn't think much about it but sometimes it feels like there's something you're protecting or there is something that you are very unsure about within yourself or it 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 feels a little uh, awkward or maybe something you might regret later on or not regret or like sh- should i do it or not do it in a way <laughs> okay <laughs> i think no matter what yes this this those kind of feelings are temporary and so i i believe that we should just keep doing what we do doing the podcasts and try um talk to people and then after a while it will be just uh, just nothing like it will be very easy to me i believe that but i i think you're being doing it very good and being very consistent and um challenging yourself to talk to different type kind of people from different cultures and it's going very well actually as a podcaster uh, like you i'm learning a lot from you just starting from the email you sent like i'm learning okay this is how it's done and like uh, i'm learning a lot from you thank you thank you i uh, i'm uh, i mean i will glad to be useful and be helpful <laughs> feel free to ask me anything even for the viewers like you can feel uh, free to reach out and ask about anything okay uh hope that improvement happens even in the relationship side okay <laughs> for me uh next is what do you like to do for fun oh for fun mm um i um i like to do this kind of uh last minute decisions for some just some short travel destinations and those are uh kind of uh, unexpected and uh, some it might you know be very end up very good but sometimes it doesn't end up very good it become very bad trips something like that so for fun i might do that and also um just i just like to go out for a walk and maybe take some photos and just i just love listening to music and walk yes hmm what is your favorite movie uh what? okay one that is always come to my mind is a uh, revolutionary road it's a uh, quite emotionally difficult movie to watch it's about the uh couples dynamics and it's quite hard and i always cry at the end and there is um uh, leonardo dicaprio and uh kate winslet together and i love that movie what's the name revolutionary road
What is your favorite book? Um, my favorite book is um, um, that is okay. Yes, I already mentioned Master and Margarita. That is uh, my favorite book. It is uh, fun. What is your favorite food? You already mentioned that, but just... I love egg. Just egg. <laughs> Why in what type? Um, All type. Fried or um, omelet. Which is the top? Which is the... <laughs> Which is the top? Um, I would say um, scrambled. Okay. What are your thoughts on NFT and crypto and Web3? Uh, looked into your um, Instagram. I, I, I thought that you were quite into the NFTs and uh, very knowledgeable of that. But in the in few years back, uh, it was kind of like uh, emerging everywhere. And also there was a lot of coins were launched and NFTs, also NFT marketplaces in Mongolia. I thought, okay, I think this is, I should know about something about it and I should somehow at least uh, gain some NFT, something like that. I th first I thought then all, all of a sudden it seems like all the fuss is gone now. And um, I don't know, I, I, I think I don't see, still I don't see the, the meaning of the NFTs because people still believe the real life like a real tangible art is more because you can see it and you can make a con you know, like there's a whole big world around it. So NFTs are at the moment seems like quite in here, especially in Mongolia now have big, uh, have bad reputation actually. Mm. The, the reputation is going bad around the world because of scams and all these things. Because of sudden hype it had got and then it just went bust. But what I believe NFTs are a fundamentally a contract. They just authenticate who is the rightful owner of that particular asset. It can be digital asset like a photograph, a music or a video or even a podcast or even a physical painting. Even a physical painting can be a NFT. So it is the contract at the fundamental level. And the use cases will come gradually because many of the artists are just doing digital works now, right? So in the future for them to authenticate it, to sell it. And emerge again as a, uh, as a, as a trending, uh, as a trend and I... I think this will never like uh, go away or it will, you know, emerge again as just like a Bitcoin. Yeah, it filters, it filters out the bad actors who are still there are the ones who continue. It is somewhat like the internet uh, boom and or the dot-com boom and 10, 20 years ago. So we still use internet. We still use, and it has just evolved better from there. So... That is the trajectory what I'm looking here. I just think um, it's it's better to just um, educate myself on NFTs and crypto. So 
at the moment I am not actually not well interested and also not very educated but I hope I think I should I should read more about it so I mean I mean it's you'll be all right even if you don't read I had this question just to know like what what impact it is having around the world or what people feel about it um okay so it was amazing to talk to you today thank you so much for coming and sharing amazing insights of modern mongolia with us and even the traditional one uh, we got to see a lot and talk to a lot about anthropology and music and all other aspects thank you what are your some concluding remarks or words for the audience um thank you too tanmai thank you very much it was a completely new experience for me and i love experiencing new something new and like just as i go through um scheduling the interview and talking to you i learned a lot also as a podcaster and i appreciate that a lot and um for the audience um i would love um i think uh, um people should also listen to your podcast because your uh guests seem also very interesting and uh people can get knowledgeable about the different cultures that they don't know uh, through your podcast and it seems very interesting and um also uh if you are interested somehow in mongolia you can go to the modern mongolia podcast and um i am planning to upload more episodes coming next week so that's it and just thank you just it's just amazing to just interact with people this way and discover how we have this uh, some things similar and some things different is it was just amazing thank you thank you i think you partially asked my next question also but anyways i'm going to ask it how was your experience of this two two and a half hours how do you feel any feedback or anything you have for me yes i had uh, i really liked that uh, you gave the um general instruction on how the podcast was going to be about there will be three three parts and this will be about this and that was very um informative that i can ha- i can have the idea that okay this is how it's going to be for this podcast but also the uh, the questions uh was very also unexpected and i um personally i i actually uh, observed myself where i should uh you know work on myself expressing or like answering the questions just having conversation i just learned that i need to improve more and the whole experience was i think very smooth and um everything went well all right thank you thank you i'm so happy that uh, that had happened that is one of the other reasons for the show uh i mean these questions are sometimes even i like to ask myself and see how it unrolls but so glad to receive your feedback how do you say goodbye uh, in mongolian language okay we say bayrte in mongolian and bayrte um, bayrte this episode is brought to you by tanmay shah that's me best way to support this show is by sharing this with your friends 
and dropping a comment and review on YouTube, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can become my patron and a sponsor. That's not all. You can buy Rockla's merchandise and NFTs and much more. See all the links in description for details.